Hi there, you're listening to High Performance, our gift to you every single week. This is the podcast that turns the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. And this is the second episode of the High Performance Gallagher Leadership Series. Gallagher, as I'm sure you know, are the title partners of Premiership Rugby, and they approached us on High Performance a few weeks ago saying they really want to reveal the truth about leadership in rugby because leadership can be lonely leadership can be unforgiving at times leadership can even be unrewarding and this conversation is for all of you leaders and i'm talking to parents i'm talking to pastors i'm talking to teachers i'm talking to team leaders i'm talking to entrepreneurs i'm talking to everyone really because in your own way in your own world you are high performance you are all leaders and today we welcome alex sanderson Director of Rugby at Sale Sharks. He's here for you as part of today's Gallagher Leadership Series with this kind of wisdom. Enjoy. On the field, he's the most abrasive and aggressive, the most competitive, angry ant that's ever like crossed the white line. So there was coaching sessions where I'd be running the session and he wouldn't agree with it to the point where he's shouting at me. So I just sent him off. I just said, Look, I can't have this. Like, it's not about me and you, you've got to go. The more rewarding and the more uh, difficult nature of high performance of the game it is the ever-changing constant that is people. It's not just about enjoying the triumph, as I said, it's about enjoying the struggle, you've got to enjoy the fight. You've got to love both sides of the coin equally. Okay, so let me level with you, right? We are kind of baffled by the success of high performance. I suppose when many millions of people a month are listening to your content, it's kind of weird if we weren't slightly blindsided by it. So why is that? Well, I actually believe it's because what we're not doing on these episodes is telling you what to think. We aren't preaching to you. We aren't saying there's only one way. We aren't making you feel like you're unfairly underachieving. Equally, we're not giving you realistic soundbite success tips, which I hear on other podcasts. We are simply asking questions of those who've been successful across all walks of life. So hopefully their answers provide you with something genuinely life-affirming, genuinely uplifting and genuinely educational based on their experience. As always, it's me, Jake Humphrey and Professor Damien Hughes having this conversation. And today we're joined by Alex Sanderson, a stunning playing career included representing England, but it was cruelly cut short before he got involved in management. Now he is involved in management. Now he is the Sale Sharks director of rugby. So it's time for his experiences to become your life lessons. Today, Sale Sharks director of rugby, Alex Sanderson, on the High Performance Podcast. So before we get going with today's episode, I just want to say thank you so much to Gallagher. You know, so many people approach us to be partners with the High Performance Podcast. I'm afraid almost all of them get told no. But then sometimes someone comes along with a really cool idea and we run with it. And it was Gallagher, your trusted insurance broker, that came to us with the idea for the Gallagher Leadership Series. And Gallagher are a really fascinating company. Um, It plays to my values because they've been voted one of the world's most ethical companies for the past 10 consecutive years. You probably know that they're a global insurance business, risk management and consulting. They've been doing it since 1927. But I also love the fact that Gallagher recognised that it can be tough at the top. So therefore, they are really keen to not just help leaders in rugby, but to help all business leaders and all leaders in life tackle those challenges and tackle those pressures. So whether it is in the house or the classroom or the boardroom or the rugby pitch, Gallagher understand that surrounding yourself with a team of trusted advisors is critical for success. They're a really cool business. They supported us on the High Performance Tour. They're supporting us as well for these episodes. So if you want to find out more, just go to ajg.com forward slash UK. ajg.com forward slash UK. Gallagher, thank you so much for being partners with us for these very special episodes of High Performance. Well, Alex, first of all, thank you very much for joining us. We're going to start with, what is your definition of high performance? Let's go in heavy, let's start in heavy. What is my definition of high performance? Form, if you like, when you're truly at your best, when you're you're in that flow state, is it is a an accumulation of a lot of things in your life, uh, and I say that in your life, because sport for me is a microcosm of life, that you have to get aligned and get right. So um, 
you're able to be free, free on the field, in the moment. Um, so that that revolves revolves around understanding yourself in terms of your all the mental aspects that you need to to get right for you to to perform to to be free. It, it's your, your nutrition, it's your physical, it's also kind of your well being. I guess that's come into sport a lot more. It's getting all the things that you need to get as a person right holistically. If you do that around your life, if you do that, then that tends to transfer into high performance. So can I stay then with another heavy question, Alex, and come at you with, I've read a lot about your coaching technique is is very much around tapping into this sense of identity. Who are we? Why do we do what we do and how we're getting there? How would you answer that for you? Well, only through my own experiences with other people, with the lads that I've coached, I'd hope to think ever-changing, continuously growing, always searching, curious to, to improve. And and with that, uh, you have to be adaptable and flexible, not to the extent where you lose sight, realising the important things that lie at the core of you being able to perform, in my case, coach well. Like You have to keep hold of those things. But on the peripheries of that, in terms of your process and your purpose, that does attribute to identity. You have to, I feel you have to be open and flexible enough to to change on a, on a week to week, maybe day to day. So what is it you would say your purpose is then? Well, right now, it's about creating an environment where the players can grow and evolve into people that younger players aspire to be. And vicariously, you know, that's that's one hat. That's That's the big tick. And it's not just the players, it's the coaches as well because we have to support and, and, and live our, our lives by the same values that we that we preach to the players. That's that's one hat. And the other the other hat is is to create a team with a, a mentality towards consistent, relentless performance. And that's that's in a focus around the process, isn't it? As we, you know, that's laid on the initial statement. And then doing doing that, Damien, I think you get the best of both worlds, but you get this team that's loving it a group of people who's loving it because they're growing and they're feeling that together and they're doing it together and that's when team sport is 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 really really special but you also get an understanding of of how you how you win by almost taking it away taking it away from the outcome now we're having this this conversation alex about leadership thanks to gallagher and that's what i really want to talk about is your leadership. You know, you, through your own career as a rugby player, you've identified what high performance is to you and how and why you lead. I, I really want to get into some specifics here so that people that are listening to this that aren't in the rugby world and our CEOs and our colleagues and our teachers and our parents can work out where they can transfer your knowledge and your understanding into their own lives. So if I was to talk to you about being a modern leader, and I'd really love to get into some specifics here, the skills that you use on a day-to-day basis to get the message through to your players and to your team. Can you give us a story of a time where you've really had a player who maybe hasn't got the message and you've had to delve really deep into your skill set to get the message across to them? Or or perhaps when you've taken on a whole group and the mentality and the culture hasn't been right and you've had to change that. Could you talk us through your skills and your your go-to methods for taking a team to the place that you want them to be? I can give you some examples of what has worked at Saracens and what seemingly has worked at the start of sale. And Saracens, way back when, were an underachieving, probably overpaid organisation. Uh, and stepped Brendan Benter and, and Edward, Edward Griffiths at the time, and it was very much coach-led. As an organisation, we were given four distinct values to live by, not just to train and play by, but to live by. Honesty, discipline, work rate and humility. Good values, you know, and quite obtuse in terms of their meaning, but they were driven driven almost fanatically so by the by the coaching setup. So you had to adopt them as a player. And the the transformation in, in terms of what we saw on the field went from kind of eleventh, tenth to to finalists the first year to winning it the second. And thereafter, what was a young side, I, I had the a brilliant, fortunate opportunity to to grow been a young coach with this young side over the course of 10 years so I was perhaps 25 26 and I'm coaching a Jamie George and a Owen Farrell and a George Crew all lads who were like 17 18 at the time which kind of coming full circle back to me my understanding of the necessity to be flexible and fluid 
with your coaching methodology, with your leadership methodology, with how you get the best out of these players and get the best out of teams. Because as these grow, lads grow through the most formative years of their life, from 17 to, to 24, 25, to meeting a, a girl, to marrying that girl, to having kids, they, they become different people. And as I say, fortunate, because you end up learning more about yourself than you do about these lads over that, that span of their lives or that span of my life. Because I've done the same. I got married and had a kid in, in that period as well. So from being a very coach-led organisation, you fast forward to maybe, forget what years it was, but maybe six, seven years down the line, maybe eight years down the line, and we'd won a few titles and we were still basing the, the, the environment, the culture of the club around those old principles. Uh, the, the golden circles of Simon Sinek, you, you, you know, everyone's seen them, aren't they? The why, the how, and the what, uh, making it all about the why. And I presented this again because we just lost five games in the bounce and this was a, you know, a championship winning team. So to lose five games in the bounce is obviously something clearly wrong with the culture. So I presented it back to the lads. I got an Owen Farrell and said, don't get it. This is a guy who's adhered to it for like six or seven years. Don't get it, I'll... Well, what do you mean? It's there. It's the golden circles of success. Like, how do you not get it? Let's focus on the why. We're all about the process at the moment. But what, what that made me do, um, and him and the rest of us, was get into to a very, to many, many heated and honest conversations, usually smaller ones, but occasionally with the group, to determine and to come back to, to what kind of a team we were then, to, to, to redefine that identity. We went from being a coach-led organisation at start to maybe a coach and player-led organisation six or seven years in. Fast forward to another two or three years down the line. I did the least amount of coaching with that side towards the back end of the season uh, that I've ever done. I was purely facilitating the intelligence, the motivation, the motivational drive that the players thought was best for the team. Because they were that mature then. Now we're talking... Jamie Dodge being 29 years old, you know, 30 years old. So I was just stepping back uh, and, and letting them do what they wanted in terms of taking over and we built that trust and that, that understanding over the years, really. We were that together, many of our philosophies and processes, that it was, it was the best way. So to answer, to answer your original question, like how do you lead? Like in many different ways, depending on what the culture, the environment and the team needed. Sometimes it's not what you want to do, how you feel you want to lead, how you feel you want to coach, but it's having the, the wherewithal, I guess, to be able to leave your ego on the hook and do what's necessary. See, and that's the bit that really fascinates me, Alex. That comment there that you said about leaving your ego on the hook is a really important aspect of, of leadership. So how do you do that? How did you learn to do that? got a very mildly wife. You tend to yeah, take bring me that down to earth every moment you can. So, like, give me as an example of that, because uh, like, what sort of feedback does your wife give you that does pull you up short and get you to maybe reflect? Uh, I think, I think what and then what people from outside your environment are able to do is have just that that kind of perspective that you don't have, being immersed in it, and for someone who understands you very deeply, like your wife does or your best friends do, and uh, take their counsel um, with equal measure. When you're saying things from an emotional point of view at the end of a day, for instance, which you're probably just justifying your own opinions on, just to make yourself feel better, she'll, she will open my eyes to the reason behind the reason. So it's never the thing. People don't react or say or do something for the, for the obvious reason. Rarely is it the obvious one. There's always... A reason behind the reason, and then and then so that what I guess that what it does is increase your empathy, doesn't it? But give us an example then of where she's done that, and maybe you've gone back in the next day into the environment and said to a player, "Listen, I got that wrong yesterday," and it's based on what your wife might have said to you. One of the biggest ones, and he's a coach now, so you can ask him about this. I said to Ed with Richard Wigglesworth, who was a a scrum half who went to the same school as me, who played at Saracens for a long time, he's playing at Leicester now, and he's going to be a great coach, this lad. And we've got a lot of time for each other, but on the field, he's the most abrasive and aggressive and most competitive, angry ant that's ever like crossed the white line. So there was coaching sessions where I'd be running the session and he wouldn't agree with it, to the point where he's shouting at me. So I just sent him off. I just said, I can't have this. 
Like, it's not about me and you. You've got to go. And they could go home and, you know, went home and stood on it. I'm like, I can't believe it. Like, why is he, why is he trying to undermine it? And all this kind of stuff. And it was, it was nothing to do with that. It was to do with his, our past relationship. And you tend to be more uh, aggressive with people you love, I guess, don't you? When the emotions are flowing, you take those liberties, which you don't offer yourself if it's just a working relationship. And that was the one time she's like, you need to ring him. Don't sit on this. Like, ring him up. And it was a 15-minute conversation and we're all happy and mates again and we've got a better working relationship. So I just find, I don't say women in general, but um, they generally are better communicators, certainly the ones in my life. And I'm from a matriarchal family. Tend to give you that perspective, which sometimes is difficult to see. Um, I'd like to read out a quote from the Saracens director of rugby, Mark McCall, who says of you, Alex, he's one of the leading coaches of his generation, blending comprehensive technical and tactical knowledge with an in-depth understanding of the people in his care. His creativity, ability to articulate message and a ferocious desire to improve players sets the standard of what it is to be a modern day coach. Now, I don't read that out to embarrass you because I know that you're a man who doesn't appreciate ego or doesn't have much of one either. I'll keep it coming, But Jake. I'd love to... <laughs> <laughs> but I'd, lo- I'd just love to dive into three or four of these little areas, if I may. I think it's a really nice area to, to start. And first of all, the comment Mark makes about an understanding of the people in his care. First of all, how important is that? And secondly, how do you go about having that empathy for the people around you? I think it's the most important thing, actually. Uh understanding them, understanding what makes them tick. Uh, yeah, understanding all aspects of the life. Because the rugby side of things, it, it, for me, having been in the game forever, like, I'm still not as old as some, it is the easier thing to comprehend. You know, you watch enough games, you do enough analysis, you immerse yourself in the sport for long enough, you can see the technicalities. And yet, the more rewarding and the more... Uh, difficult nature of high performance of the game is the ever changing constant that is people where their life's at, where their head's at and stuff. So to, to be empathetic, to continuously put yourself out there because it, it does take extra cognitive load on you, I think is the most important thing in, a, in, a, in an environment where I'm doing less and less coaching. So the way you understand it is if there's a conflict, then walk towards it like you know nothing. Now ask the questions. That's hard because you automatically become defensive. So when there's conflict, actually go towards it and ask the questions. Have as many small and honest and often conversations as you can with groups of eight or less people, ideally, because then you get that interaction. And then I also think meeting meeting the families and meeting the wives is important. Like we had a social on Saturday to watch the England game. Took them all out to Freight Island. Hell of a place. And the boys were really, really uh, keen to just make it a lads do. And I was adamant that it, it shouldn't be and it, and it couldn't be because I wanted to. I wanted the girls to meet the girls. I wanted the wives to meet each other. And I wanted the lads to meet each other's wives because you learn so much about someone through the partner and the friends, the company, the keep, you know, the partner specifically. Um, and it was a really good do. And I didn't get shouted at once, not until I got home at least. Coming back to this, as many and varied and often small conversations you can have, the, mo- the more organic those conversations, hence why a beer or two helps, because the facade drops, the better. Like we've got a table tennis tournament happening this week, and I just know the number of conversations that are going to revolve around that table would be priceless. Got a coffee machine, Manu Tang to Alangi helps all the young lads, a bit of a barista, shows them how to make coffee, but it's all the little interactions that go on whilst he's showing them that that, that contribute to, to, to their combined empathy as well. So and this is not a new concept. This is, you know, I've, I've leached this from Margaret Heffernan, who's a, a CEO of 70 companies. He swears by social capital being the glue in any successful company. So it's something that I have invested in very heavily at the start and I continue to, and I, I still think it's a bit of a, an undefined process so as it is undefined you can take it anywhere and from what you've learned from margaret and what you've learned in your own space in rugby what would you say to those business leaders listening to this that think sounds great it's all very good but i'm busy running a business i've got numbers i need to hit i've got turnover i need to get to i've got kids at home 
I'm already working 15 hours a day. I have no time for these soft skills. What would you say to those people? Who's not, who's not working hard? Who isn't, who hasn't got kids? You know, this is truly the extra kind of 5% that, that could take your business, take your team to the, another level. First off, it's like everyone's working that hard. But secondly, it does take a, a, a faith, I guess, because it's an intangible. The outcomes of what I'm talking about are seemingly intangible. It's not like GPS, and I've said this before. Sports science is everywhere now, isn't it? In, in all games, in all sports. And you can make incremental improvements through GPS data loading, like all our lads. But everyone's doing that. Everyone's onto that. Whereas because this is an intangible and you can't measure it, people don't give it the credit or time that it's worthy for. You ask any, any player, any successful player, and they tell you which, how much of the game's mental, how much of it comes down to the top two inches, yet how many organisations or teams, and let's just say business, a sport being a microcosm, a business being a microcosm of life, invest 50% of the time on the mental skills, or, or, or this is what I'm talking about here, this ability to create cohesion within a team. Very, very few do, because... You can't turn around to an owner and say, give me so much money so we can get, we can build a mind gym, which we have. We built a gym for the mind. Um, but because of the results we've had at the start, he's, he's, he's showing good faith as well in, in what we're trying to build here. A mind gym, just to let you know, is pretty much just a room. I said it to my brother. I'm like, I was dead excited. I'm like, Pat, Pat, we've just built a gym. Gym for the mind. We're going to call it a mind gym. He's like, Ace, what is it? I'm like, it's, it's a room where we do stuff on the mind. And as yet, there's not a lot in it, to be fair, because we're still trying to figure that out. But it is a, Does it need much in it? No, no, exactly. I mean, it is a space where at the moment we do some kinesthetic movements, some awareness of your own bodies, some breathing. We're, we're pretty, we've gone through the mindfulness and the meditation route to, to the physiology of breathing and how that can control your emotional states and your sympathetic states. And all that's catching on, but... I feel like there's so much more we can do in there. One thing I've always admired about you, Alex, has been the, around the theme of creativity that I think a lot of business leaders can learn from. You know, there's that old saying that so many team meetings or business meetings are where hours are wasted and minutes are taken, you know. And yet people that I know that have been present at, say, the team meetings that you've had when you were at Saracens or now at Sale, often tell us about how creative and memorable they've been, whether this is bringing the live wolves in or some of the other themes that you'll use before a game. Would you tell us a little bit around the role of creativity in your leadership style? So let, let's, as I've talked about before, everyone's watching the games, right? Everyone's doing similar analysis. Everyone watches three games before the player team. And then define all that information, that 16 gigabytes in and around of information, down to maybe two or three things. And you want those things to stick. Otherwise, what's the point of all that hard work? So it's trying to find an anchor. That's part of it. Trying to find an anchor or using NLP or using something that hooks two or three things that you're going after. Because if, if they truly buy into it, remember it, then they'll have more intent. That's the theory behind it. That's part of it. But the other part is being sat there as a player for like, 10 years and being utterly bored to do with something that I should be loving. It should be the best time of your life, this, shouldn't it? Playing sport, being in a professional team should be brilliant, all of it. So I think we owe it to the lads to want to come in and to want to, like, not just interact because a lot of what we have now is through the engagement, is through the conversations that I've talked about, but to want to be involved and to want to be engaged with what's going on in front of them. And, and if they do so, then you've basically got another session Although it will be not one where they're getting tired, where they can take information in. That's part of their growth, though, isn't it? As a person, like it, the, the messages are generally bigger than just the game. Creativity, however you find it, whether it's in the car or on the toilet, sometimes over a beer in the pub, like I say, talking to my missus, that's the perk of the job for me. So how much time would you spend coming up with a theme as opposed to just doing the analysis of, of a, like a preview of a game that's coming up? So if you had to apportion percentages, how much time is spent coming up with that theme versus the actual review? Well, I, I, I nicked this from the Crusaders. It used to be my, own, my main part of my job at Saracens on a weekly basis, drawing in the week, simplifying the three or four meetings I've had in the week down to one 15, 20-minute meeting. 
And within that, probably one and a half minutes of the clips and how we can make that fun, engaging so they can take it home and talk about it. I want them to go home and talk to the missus about it because if you've got that, then they, you know they're into it. Um, and since then, it, 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 it does become, sometimes it becomes bigger than the, than the game. It should never really, you know what I mean? Because it shouldn't be about me and show hands and all that kind of stuff. It, it, sh- it should be the reason why we're all there, which is to perform. So I was having a chat with... Um, Scott Robinson, we had a bit, a, few, a bit of communication right at the start of the lockdown um, with the Crusaders. And, and we talked about the processes. And he's a very creative person himself. You've probably seen him breakdance after he's won a title or two on the field. So there's a lot about him that I like. I'm not as good a dancer. Um, but uh, he's got a creative team, which we've now put in place at sale. So we've, we've looked amongst the group and picked out some of the guys who are a bit more eccentric, who, who are creatively minded, who aren't involved in some of the more traditional leadership roles, attack, defence, and whatever. And we called it the Deep Blue Crew, because it goes with Sharks, and it's the crew that goes that little bit deeper, that thinks that little bit deeper than your average player. And we meet up once a week, and we have a bit of a crack, and we have a bit of a laugh, and we look at the next week, and we look who we're playing, and we discuss a theme around that, that the lads would think is a good one, and how we can bring it to life. So can you give us an example then and help us work through how you bring it to life? Um, well, let's, let's, this week we, we talked about the look of the Irish and, you know, I said, lads, and this was through the, the DBC, this was the last week, so I opened it up. I said, lads, I wouldn't allow you to be casually racist here with regards to the Irish. Like, when you think of the Irish and you look at AJ McGinty, what do you think of? And they're like, oh, you know, I won't go to some of what they said, but generally speaking, loves, loves a drink, loves a good time. Uh, lucky, and then they mentioned leprechauns and pots of gold, and so all the lads are conversing around this. This is the team, but it was the DBC that, that came up with it. I'm like, right, and what about the team, the London Irish team? Because you can consider them lucky. They came back and they they, they drew with us 31 all down at their place, and they came back from Exeter 14 points down, and they won in the last minute against Saracens. I'm like, well, you look at all those, and you can say they're lucky, but. It's not the look of the Irish. They do it week in, week out, lads. They're the best at scoring the last quarter. So let's define luck. How can we make our own luck? If it's out there and it's perceivable, how do you make it? So it was Seneca, the um, the ancient philosopher, wasn't he? I think he was a Greek philosopher. One of the Stoics, yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I knew he was in the company of more intelligent people. And he, and he said that luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. So now you can define it. Now we can work on it. So out lads, this week, we're going to understand what preparation looks like for us and where the opportunities lie. We can make it very tangible rather than just one of those things that happens with a bounce of a ball. Um, so that was the week we had this week. Um, and on the back of that, you know, we, we have Irish-themed food on occasion. We're playing Irish teams. We'll have Irish music playing, coming out the kit room, stuff like that. So we, we tend to anchor it in as much as we can. And what are the benefits of that then, Alex? What do you find that, like, taking a chance and going down that more creative route rather than the traditional sitting for, have the lads sat in front of a screen while you just go through the stats and facts and figures? What are the benefits that that gives you by doing that? I think it's something to do with synapses. I heard it somewhere. So, like, you go to the Eiffel Tower on your birthday. Every time it's your birthday, you'll think of the Eiffel Tower. If you go to the Eiffel Tower and snog Kylie Minogue on your birthday, you'll link the three things together. So you build more of those synapses in terms of your memory constructs. So, <laughs> again, someone's probably going to call and say it's absolute bullshit, that. But that's my understanding. The more ways you can anchor it, a theme to the process of what you're trying to get, so your preparation to the look and how you make your own look, the heavier it sticks with you. So you have that shared mental model where you know what you're all going after and that's crucial that's a, like a military term that isn't it where everyone is on the same page in terms of what they're chasing and if you can make those objectives or whatever you want to call them then you probably you probably cracked it but then on the flip side of that if you get your analysis wrong and you've anchored all these things in over the course of a week with a bit of fun and enjoyment's another one because it opens you up having a lot they go and do completely the wrong things on the game day that's the point that I want to mention, though, because obviously you had all that conversation about playing and playing London Irish, um, and they did get a late try. They didn't, did. they? It didn't work they did for get us. a late try to draw the game with you. So, 
when you've gone through this process where you go, look, guys, they're great late on. We need to attack that. We need to go through the process and they still do it against you. I'm very interested to know what your mental process is for dealing with that. Do you get downcast? Do you think we've got something wrong? Or are you able to go, listen, we did our absolute best. I and mean, the phrase we love on the podcast is the best you can with what you've got where you are. Are you able to look at the fact that you still did the best you had with what you had where you were and it just wasn't your day? I always look to myself first. I, I generally blame my actions and the words that I've spoken in a week by way of influencing the lads and the coaches um, to see if there was anything I could have, would have done differently or better. But then again, taking your ego off it, like, and this was the, the sports psych Dave Jones at, at, at Saracen said, you actually think that you have more influence than you do. Like you need to step back and, and give yourself some slack, but you can't make things happen just because you've asked it of them, you know. So you have to put that into context. And then, as every coach does, pour, pour over the stats, take the emotion out of it, look at the game objectively as opposed to emotionally. And once you've done that, and that's the day after, speak to all the, all the other coaches. I think it's important to reference what you've seen objectively, unemotionally, to what you felt almost immediately after the game. This is a process that we, we took from, we spent some time with special forces and ex-special forces, and they call it hot debriefing. After every mission, they, they, uh, each individual member of the team has a hot debrief because, as you know, your own perception of what happened is rarely the reality, and your perception is probably going to be different to the person who's right next to you in the same fight, in the same battle, in the same game and getting as much information as you can, then you can perform a realistic review of, did we get it right? Is what we saw, what we felt? And after we saw it, how can we align our feelings better in-game, post-game to, to what was actually happening? Because that's the holy grail, the golden goose, I guess, is you're that in the moment, you're that aware of your feelings, and it matches up so much with reality, you're able to affect your next decision regardless of emotion. Hey, listen, I'm sorry to interrupt this episode. I'm sure you'll agree. It's a great conversation. But I just want to say, first of all, thanks for listening to the Gallagher Leadership Series with the High Performance Podcast. But I also want to mention that I'm about to play you a clip of Ben Earl talking about Owen Farrell from Gallagher's Rivals Together Series. It's really cool. Have a listen to this. I think someone we probably both know very well is Owen. Yeah. And I'd say he's in that category. He doesn't let you have a bad training session does he because yeah. the standards if you're like a couple of percent off you, you well, you're firstly hearing about it even if you're not aware about it then yeah. like it definitely raises the standard um, I mean yeah like everyone talks about obviously he's been out injured for a couple of weeks with us the standard of training when he comes back is like is mental it's night and day um, and that's just not like that anyone else is is like not good enough it's just that he's wired differently in that regard is that he wants the best um, and he'll only accept the best, and that is so motivating for you as a as a teammate, but also for someone for me to learn off. So, if you want to hear more of that kind of insight from the likes of Danny Care, Freddie Burns, Beno Abano on their own leadership journeys in the Gallagher Premiership, then just head to Gallagher's YouTube channel where you can watch all the episodes. And I'll tell you what, I'll also put a link to all their episodes in our show notes as well. I love this conversation about emotion and feelings because like, everyone has preconceptions, don't they? And I suppose when we knew we were going to speak to you, Alex, you know, I thought of this, you know, rugby player probably edging towards 16 stone, right? In your Mate, playing I'm, days. Yeah, I'm strong right now. <laughs> well over six foot, um, played for his country, played for Sale and Saracens. And I had in my head, I'd also read about the Wolfpack mentality that you've created as well. And I was expecting aggression and fight and determination and digging in and moving as one yet this conversation has been almost about getting success with the opposite of that you know psychological safety is a real recurring theme here I think this is a conversation that I would like to go a bit further on the the element of psychological safety do you remember when you first realized the power of it because I would imagine and correct me if I'm wrong that you grew up particularly early in your rugby career where maybe psychological safety was not something that was prevalent or practised? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. It's something that you can have, and but you can lose quite quickly as well. You know, it's, it's a constant process of mowing the grass. Uh, as Margaret Effenham would put it, you know, you think you've got a garden, it's all looking really nice and 
you've got your rockery and everything else and a week later you go on order and you turn around and it's overgrown it's looking like a mess so you've got to continuously upkeep your garden as you would your atmosphere and environment to be able to have those honest conversations it definitely wasn't even an on the on the awareness of coaching setups or, or organizations not in rugby anyway because it was quite a fledgling and new in terms of the professionalism you know you watch that last stand though and there's elements of it being there isn't there i mean a lot of what we're doing isn't it's all been done before isn't it but the ability for forget who that coach was but to understand rodman and what he was like and how he performed best and to treat him differently like it's not one way for all it's each to their own in terms of getting the most out of the individual so the psychological safety side of things Maybe it's just me, but you know I've got people around me who are also very good at it and interested in it. The coaching staff, that is, because they've all been ex-players as well. They've all been down a few roads where it's hurt and they've had to struggle and get back to to winning ways. So that they understand what a player goes through during his life cycle, if you will, the ups and downs and the fight and the triumphs. For me, it's the most rewarding aspects of the game of of the job to be able to have a chat with someone and feel like you've really reached them you've now coming into sale where you're looking to to establish that same relentless drive to keep getting better so how do you guard against players maybe thinking they've cracked it or thinking that that they've made it and then starting to relax standards it does happen when you give everything to a player and you and you and you you look after him as best you can in, in every aspect of his life. Sometimes some of them become entitled. There's being aware of it, what it looks like. And you can, sometimes you can tell it in terms of the workloads, their intensities, their accelerations, because it's always feeling that affects your behaviours, not the other way around for me. So if, the, if they're in some way entitled or they're better than it, then you tend to see it in terms of behaviours. And that's GPS. Or you can see it subjectively. You can see it in body language. And then it's about challenging. When it comes to the simple things that require no talent, those things you can address publicly. Effort and intensity and movement and speed off the floor. You know, and you compare and contrast when you're in song and you're doing really well compared to when you're not just quite there, whether that be culturally or or in terms of processes, you can, you can show that you can just do video modelling with that. That's part of it. Or you can you can force them to, to have the, the hard conversations as well, force them to have them with each other. And then the third way is by the one-on-ones, isn't it, again, sitting them down. Generally speaking, they'll, they'll find their own answers if you ask the right questions. Would you just explain to us the power of allowing the players to have the conversation rather than you always being the one to be front and centre of these these processes? Yeah, it's massive. It's huge, that. But again, first of all, you can't just say, right, here you go, go. You have the conversation because you're going to get all those things we talked about, this social desirability and the desire for your strong talkers to talk first and to say the things that, that they believe. And that's not necessarily what a what a young Tom Roebuck or an Aaron Reid believes or wants. So how you fashion those conversations in terms of numbers, how you, how you lead into it to, to perhaps break some of those barriers down so you get honest and an equal contribution is is equally important as the conversation itself and none of this is about the game is it you know this could be in any in any walk of life because you you get into those answers that that they want but i think what you're starting to move us towards alex is understanding when you talk about this self-managing team one of the phrases jake and i often use is cultural architects your leaders in the dressing room that run it for you so how how do you determine the right people to lead that dressing room for you, to have those conversations? Well, I think they have to be aligned with the club's cultural values or performance values. Like They have to live by those kind of values, or at least play uh, as an example of those values, because then they're authentic. And how do you work out whether they know and understand, really understand what those values are? You, 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 see, the, you see the best and the worst of these lads, like through the adversity and the triumph. You see them, you see the bones of them through fatigue. And they're you, you know what I mean? So I think I would say over the course of a year, you can, you can get to understand what, what motivates and what, where, where, when someone's saying something, saying something which is pure and, and for the right reasons, not just because they want it for you to hear it. Then it becomes about keeping your eyes and ears open, not going into conversations with these lads, particularly post-game, which 
where you've already formulated your own conclusions, try and, try and be open enough to take on board what, what they feel, even if you don't agree with it, and how they want to go about it. And Because then, then you can go, always go back to them and say, well, what about this? But sometimes it's just the venting of it, which, which makes the difference. Let's talk about players that have resisted your coaching style. Um, obviously, we've sort of touched on it slightly just then. When a player resists your approach and your way of working, as well as asking whether that player could do better, do you, does that drive you towards self-improvement as well? Do you start asking yourself questions? Yeah, 100%, yeah. And, and, and the best players generally do. Them's the ones that challenge you most in session, post-session. Them, they're the ones that come up and ask, why can't it be done differently? Or They're the ones that I, go, I, go, I look towards in terms of feedback as well. And I have to say, Owen Farrell is the one person who's probably challenged me the most. Can you give us some details on that? Well, yeah, look, I mean, apart from running shouting battles during high-intensity sessions, like, I can't get much worse as a terms of an on-field relationship. And yet he, during those times, he, he believes that, that we're properly communicating. And I'll see him afterwards. And sometimes he was, he, he was so emotive, he couldn't speak. And yet... You know, we'll just stand by him whilst he was taking his kicks and slowly he'd open up and he'd share his frustrations and I'd fashion that around how we can manage the session better. I'd feed back to the other coaches who, who struggled at the time to, to communicate that uh, with him and, and say, look, we can probably do this better. So, again, that's the kind of hot debriefing. You, you generally get most of the fractious conversations post those really high-intensity training days. And then another another different example is Matt Stevens. He come into the scene like a senior prop who didn't want to scrum. And uh, if you if you want to get better at scrummaging, not that everyone else wanted to scrum, then he had to scrum. So it was a weekly, a weekly motivational conversation we had around um, how we do it for everyone else. And he did, he did do it begrudgingly. But it is, again, it just comes down to those conversations. Um, I know it make it sound simple because the conversations aren't simple. They're quite taxing at times. But I think they're necessary. Like when people say, they've just got to do it. I, I don't agree with that. They would just do it if you told them to. But I don't want them to do it just because I told them to. Um, I want them to do it because they want to do it. And then therein lies the questioning and the self-questioning and the awareness of what's best for everyone, as well as for them. I think one of the big aspects of your leadership that really intrigues me, Alex, is is your willingness to go outside of rugby, to learn about rugby, to learn about your craft. Would you tell us about the environment you've been to outside of rugby that, that has taught you the most that you've been able to implement back in your world? Well, there's, there's a few. There's a, there's a few environments that have had big impacts. Most recently was time spent at the start of COVID with... Melbourne Storm, with Richmond AFL, the Crusaders, obviously they're still in the sport. Those three being three of the biggest teams in Antipodean sport with the best record over time, which is what we're circling back to right at the start, is how do you create a high-performing team and how do you make that team resilient so they're able to do it time after time after time. These guys have and do. And we wanted to compare that to Saracens at the time and we, and we found the fingerprint for success was pretty similar across all the organisations, bar the one thing that we're talking about, which is the mental aspects of the game. Then there's the people that, I guess, the constant conversations of people whose counsel I, I do trust, and there's loads of them. Like People say, you've got mentors. Who's your mentor? Everyone needs a mentor. And I don't really have mentors. I've got mates. I've got mates who I love talking to, and it's not official, so, but I do, I do have a lot of conversations. And Mark McCall's one of them. Like, Spoke to him for an hour the other day on the phone and talked about all things life and rugby, which is, which is brilliant, isn't it? Because he's, I don't know any two DORs or two different clubs in the same competition that have that relationship. Got my old coach from school who comes to watch every home game, Brian Gornell, who's a ledge. Sports Sykes, Callum Clark, who's doing a bit, who's going to move out to Dallas, I think, for the, for the MRL, starting up out there. Speak to him when I can. How do you choose? Who does or who doesn't get the opportunity to provide feedback? I think I think it's in context of what I, the, the the problem I have, the issue, and I have at the time. It depends on whether it's a bit more emotional support or advice that I need, or if it's 
purely a problem with being a DOR and something being novel to me. So if there was one thing that you've learned on that discovery of the mental side of the game that leaders could understand and adopt in their own practice, regardless of their industry, what's been the best thing you found in your in your exploration, Alex? Self-awareness. This Coming back to identity, identity is like a bit of a buzzword at the moment, isn't it? Trademarking, call it what you will. But it still comes back to self-awareness. So the individual self-awareness, the group awareness of who they are as a team, what they get energy from. You know, if you bring it back down to feelings in a game, when did you, when did you feel like you were in that flow state? When did you feel like you were under it? Seeing how that aligns all of them individually and, and how the team felt at that point in time. So, yeah, it's, it comes back down to... You know those conversations where you feel psychologically safe to say, actually, no, I was stressed out, or uh, yeah, I was under it. I was, I was shouting. I was, I was saying the wrong thing because I was thinking the wrong thing because I was, I was in a bad place in terms of my emotions. To be able to say that and be that vulnerable post post a game, I think is brilliant and crucial and a good a good value to have. Uh, and before we move on to our quick fire questions, which is how we always end these episodes, Alex, Adam a message from a teacher on Instagram a couple of days ago and I'd love to share it with you. He he said to me, like, I listen to all of these amazing leaders and these inspiring entrepreneurs and these CEOs and these artists and actors and they all talk about exactly the kind of things that we've been discussing for the last hour. He said, but when you're a teacher, you don't get to handpick the very best thinkers, leaders, sports stars, colleagues. You get what you're given. He said, I'd love you to just ask the people when they join you on your podcast, how do you get to the kids that don't want to be got to at that time? Is there anything that you've learned that you think maybe might be useful for teachers to hear about getting to the children that are never going to be in the deep blue crew? They're just, they haven't got there yet. Well, the deep blue crew, these are the guys that weren't necessarily, aren't our apex players. These aren't, they aren't our leaders. These are, to some degree, some of them, those lost kids, I've given them, I feel, or to give all of them, each in the way, a sense of belonging. That's definitely it. How and where do they belong within the team and the environment to get that sense of self-worth so they're coming in every day and they're loving the, they're loving the process, they're loving the, the task of, of what they're doing. And it doesn't really matter what that task is, is it? Because I don't understand how some front rowers do really enjoy mauling and scrummaging. Like, it's brutal, but they do. I would say, as long as they're secu- they've got food and shelter and they're secure in terms of, for us, it's contracts, but the kids at school, thereafter, it, it is about social belonging. Once you've got that social belonging, you can move up the ladder and get your esteem needs and maybe maybe get to some kind of legacy and transcendency. But at that point, if, they're, if they feel like they belong, they've got a purpose and they have that day-to-day self-worth and you're going to get the most out of them. That's, that's probably all of them, but certainly those lads in the past where they felt maybe a bit ostracised. Really helpful. And I'm sure that um, the teacher that messaged me will be really grateful. So Alex, um, we're going to run our quickfire questions by you now, all of them with an eye towards leadership. So first of all, your three non-negotiables when it comes to leading. You see, walk into a place and all our, all our conversations are about like what kind of team are we? But you have to put yourself out there as well, don't you? You put yourself out there and to some degree, they're either going to identify with it or incorporate what my kind of values were, what I was about going into to this new job. And that's pretty fresh. So I can, I can tell you what I said to the lads at the time, which was, yeah, which was first thing, honesty. And I know that's a big one that a lot of people have talked about. And honesty means trust and trust takes time. That's what we're after to be able to have those honest conversations to be able to be honest with yourself the second one was hard work because no one has ever achieved anything truly memorable or lasting without working up it's, it's just up there you've got you to graft everyone knows that but the third thing and I think I said fun at the time so we've got to have fun enjoyment is a better adjective than fun because fun you can automatically think happy clappy can't you you can think oh whistles and bells and everyone's having a good time and back slapping and that might be part of it for some. They might need to come in and see the mates and have a cuddle. You know what I mean? That's fine. But enjoyment, like properly enjoying it, is something different. It's not just about enjoying the triumphs, as I said. It's about enjoying the struggle. You've got to enjoy the fight. You've got to love both sides of the coin equally. 
Let's let's make sure we enjoy it day to day because those fleeting moments of exhilaration you get when winning, winning a cup are just that, the fleeting. But if you can enjoy the process, a la King Siphysus, you know, that old Greek tale of the king who got punished by Zeus to push the rock up the hill. If you can enjoy the arduous task of pushing that rock up the hill day after day, then you're going to be in a good place. If you could go back to one moment in your life, Alex, what would it be and why? I haven't got a big family. There's only five of us at the start. Me and my mum, my dad, my brother and my sister, and my grandma. That was it, you know, since forever. And she, she's an incredible woman, my grandma. She, she was an acrobat, and her husband was an Olympic diver, and she drove trucks during the war, the First World War, and that. So she was, as I said, a matriarchal family. She's someone who kind of crafted my mum, who crafted me to, to, to be the person I am, and I'm grateful for that. And I didn't spend enough time with her when she was really ill towards the end. I was into the rugby. I was into what I was doing and I haven't answered that question. I haven't answered or given that answer ever before in light of a question like that. But I would, I would, uh, I'd take more time. I'd spend a bit more time next to her. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. You're clearly uh, well read and this is a difficult one for someone that likes to read. If you could share one book specifically on leadership with the people listening to this podcast which one leaps out straight away phil clark wigan legend now he commentates and presents doesn't he i i broke my neck basically 19 and i'm in i'm in the, the hospital and it was his brother who did a bit of work with us at sale his brother's a good lad as well andy uh, and he'd come in with a book which i still have and i bought numerous times and i've given to players along the way because it really helped me at that point in time, being someone who's so hell-bent on having it and having it now. You know what I mean? And it was, it's called Thinking Body, Dancing Mind by someone called Chungi Lung Al Hung Hung. So you have to look that one up. But it's basically the Taoism of sport. You know, the, the Eastern philosophies over or against the Western philosophies. The Eastern philosophies of vulnerability and accepting failure as part of the journey versus the need and want to win, which which for me can destroy you as as a as a person and a player um at an early age. So it really helped me and I've got loads of loads of good examples of other people in sport who, who adopted these kind of philosophies and it just helped me to get some headspace at that point in time and to realise that it, that it was a bit of a journey. Nice. What would you like your leadership legacy to be? I want relationships that I have with some of my coaches. I'd love that. I had a great night Saturday. I just told you about it on the social. I'm, I'm half into it. Um, and we're out with all the sale lads. And in the same place, Alex Lewington's having a stag do, dressed up as a woman with Velcro tennis balls on his head. And uh, like he's there with his mates and, he's, and he's, he's been on it all day and he'd been on it the night before. But all the Cyrus lads came up and I had a cuddle with them and I had a chat with them. And I just thought, how good's that? It gave me a real warm feeling inside, knowing that I've got a relationship there that's that stood that stood the test of a year at least, but certainly that's going to be there moving forward. So to be able to to speak to them as people post the game to to enjoy some of the things that they're going to enjoy later in life because I've got a good relationship with them. I think that's that's the best legacy someone could hope for. And um, finally, from you, Alex. Your one golden rule to leading a high-performance life. This is, I guess, your one final message for our for our listeners on this podcast. I think you've got to live those values that you preach. You've got to live by them. Everyone knows that to get on in the game, it's got to it's got to be your vocation. It has to be. Too often, people I think pick up those values and principles when you get to the club and leave them. Even when you get in the car at the end of the day, and I don't think that works over time. Brilliant. Damien. Jake. What a deep thinker. Yeah, incredibly deep. I think uh, it was a real pleasure, wasn't it? Because I think the diversity of examples that Alex was offering, you know, to talk about in terms of his learning, whether this was a special forces soldiers, whether it was going into the corporate world, whether it was his life in Saracens, 
I think he was a man that goes into any situation and looks to see what he can learn from it. That that curiosity was self-evident. I was especially interested in the way that he spoke about psychological safety. And, you know, I think that, you know, for too many years, sport has been sort of dominated by quite toxic masculinity, hasn't it? And I'm not saying that he never shouts or balls or shares quite bluntly how he feels about a performance or someone's effort in training. But I certainly really feel that he is at the cutting edge of the power of empathy and understanding and offering psychological safety and being vulnerable. But did you notice every time he spoke about it, he still said, well, you know, we've got a long way to go. I think as the sport as a whole has got quite a lot of catching up to do with someone like Alex. Yeah, massively. I remember many years ago going into um, work with a um, a team in the Gallagher Premiership and I asked them the question of how much they regarded their success as uh, down to the hard skills of the how fast and fit and tough they were and how much of it was down to the softer skills like Alex was describing of cohesion, confidence, communication. And this particular team I was working with, they attributed 30% down to the hard skills, 70% to what Alex said was those softer elements. So the question we asked next was, well, how much time do you spend developing the softer stuff? And the reality was it was still in, even a couple of years ago, less than 10% of it. And yet what they were saying was 70% of our success comes from it. And yet we invest relatively little time on it. And that's why I think what Alex is saying is really quite pioneering. I think he's got the courage to go down those routes. And that's where we're not talking about marginal gains. We're talking about quantum leaps are available to teams that are willing to, to look at investing time in it. But we're also talking about quantum leaps that A, you can't guarantee and B, often you can't quantify. So what I love from Alex is there is a real trust there that he might not be able to see day to day on a spreadsheet or on a league table exactly what these conversations are are doing for the team and the club. But he still understands that there is a power there. And I think that takes trust. It takes bravery. um, It takes patience. And it takes that from the whole organisation, not just from one person. And they, let's remember, they exist in a world where normally winning and losing is absolutely crystal clear because you either get the points or you don't get the points. Yeah, but there's plenty of evidence of it, Jake. I mean, I go back to in our archives when we were fortunate enough to spend that time with Sia Khaleesi, the captain of the South African rugby union team, where he spoke about it was, you know, I'd fight for a teammate, but I'd die for a family member. So they strive for that idea of building these strong deep bonds amongst colleagues where they've got to know each other as people not just as colleagues wearing that same jersey and I think that's in a club setting what Alex is trying to build it's really interesting um I love that conversation and I think that if I had a a son or daughter involved in that rugby club I would feel that they're in very safe hands yeah definitely I think that's in fact I think that's a really lovely compliment you know like he hinted at his own legacy was that he could see these people as friends outside of the game. And I think another great compliment is, would you would you put your son or daughter in that environment? And I'm with you. I think the answer would be a very definite yes. I enjoyed it. Thanks for your time, buddy. Thanks, Jake. Loved it. So there we go. Uh, a cool conversation with a cool guy who's making a genuine difference. Um, thank you so much for joining us for our second episode from the Gallagher Leadership Series. You can also find a Rob Baxter's episode. That was episode one. Just take a look in the High Performance Back catalogue. But you know what I really want you to do right now? If you've listened to this and you've picked up some stuff that's had an impact with you, please share it. And I don't want you to share it for our benefit. I want you to share it for the benefit of your friends and your family. And you know what? For the benefit of someone you don't know, and you may never even meet. Just, you know, I don't know, pop a review on your Instagram, tweet it, put it in a WhatsApp group, mention it to a colleague at work. If you can subscribe to the podcast or rate the podcast, that also helps us to reach more people because of the way the algorithms work. But I just want us to spread some of this good stuff in a world of negativity. There will always be cynics that look at this kind of podcast and wonder what it's all about. But you and I both know what it's all about. It's just about putting out good stuff in the world. And I'm telling you now, when you put out good stuff, good stuff comes back to you. So thank you so much for coming along with an open mind and for sharing this with us today. Thanks as well to the entire team, Will, Hannah, Eve, Gemma and Finn Ryan from Rethink Audio. Remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. 
So be your own biggest cheerleader and make world-class basics your calling card. So there you have it, the coming together of two really cool brands to create the Gallagher Leadership Series with the High Performance Podcast. And as well as this, Gallagher also recognised that leading a business, being a leader, can actually be a really intense and isolating job, especially over the last couple of years. Loads of important and difficult decisions, plus often the ultimate success of an entire organisation resting on one individual's shoulders. And that same pressure is experienced so often by leaders in elite rugby. And it's for that reason that Gallagher have created the Gallagher Leaders Trust, which is a mentoring network for directors of rugby and head coaches across 13 premiership rugby clubs. Gallagher know that to perform at the highest level, business leaders need a strong network of trusted advisors to help tackle the load of leadership. And that's why this season, as proud title partner of Premiership Rugby, Gallagher has launched this campaign which recognises it can be tough at the top, aiming to help leaders across business and rugby excel and perform at their very best. Gallagher, thank you so much for partnering with us here at the High Performance Podcast. I know that these conversations are going to help so many people. Thank you.